All right, we are live with episode number 15 from Memory Tracks. Should be a really good one today. Um, I've got my good friend Ramon Ramirez. Ramon, say hello. Harrison, what's going on? Good afternoon, good evening. <laughs> so uh, I'm really happy to have Ramon on. I kind of drew mention to him in the Andy episode, but Ramon falls into this kind of like group of friends that I've had over the years that, um, you know, music's been kind of the genesis of our getting to know, to know each other and a big part of our friendship. Um, and for the intro, I'll, I'll gush a little bit about kind of Ramon and why it's important to me um, to have you on here and why I've been looking forward to this one for sure. Uh, but you had kind of mentioned earlier, you had said that like, well, I kind of want to go about 45 minutes long because um, no one wants to hear me talk. But uh, I say no to that. I say you can talk as long as you want, as long as we feel like, because again, I talk about this in a lot of episodes, but selfishly, really, these are for me. And if people listen, then that's cool. Um, and I'm personally really excited about this episode because I think it's just, I'm interested to hear your stories, uh, as a, as your friend, uh, and connect on that. But, um, so the pressure's off, no more time constraints, no more worries on that. We don't need to sweat it. Um, but for the reason why I am so excited for you, uh, so I'll go back to what, what was it like 2005 would have been when we first, I think met? we became friends in 2005, 2005. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so I joined, uh, I went to UT and we were, I, I joined the music committee that I met Andy through as well. I think at the time you weren't chair that year. It was Jack. Yeah. Right? That was, yeah. That would have been Jack's year. Shout out to Jack. Jack, Jack Tuggle. Tuggle. Who's another guest. Of the great Jack Tuggle. <laughs> but so he was in charge of the committee and, uh, the next year you were in charge of the committee and we basically, it was the committee that booked bands at UT from like student budget and things like that. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, wide eyed 18 year old freshman kid trying to find my place at university. And I, I thought I liked music and I heard about this club through, um, my friend Miriam and came in and joined and, you know, right away I was like, Oh shit, I don't know anything about music. <laughs> uh, these people are all like so knowledgeable and you in particular, you and Jack both. Um, I really looked up to you guys. Um, Jack at the time, of course, was chair. And then over the years, like when you took over as chair, then you guys just represented a lot to me about what I really loved about that organization. And I'll always forget. I'll, I'll never forget, sadly, like there was, I think you were chair. We had this, we used to do these things like these icebreakers. And with the icebreakers, um, you know, it'd be some random topic. We'd go around the room and say something. And sometimes they were ridiculous, and other times they were just a way for us to be like music dorks and try and outsmart each other by saying something clever. I remember, one of your icebreakers was, um, "What is what was your favorite like rapper or something?" Which is a pretty huh. straightforward, boring. I don't know. It probably wasn't your idea. I think you were the, you just facilitated it or whatever. But you know, I I liked rap when I was younger, uh, of course, but you know, just nowhere near. Uh, as a hip hop head as, as you were obviously um, and I remember like at the time I had been I had like really gone deep in going back to listen to things and I was listening to the Black Star record with Most Deaf and Talib Kweli <laughs> I, I, like, I was like yeah Most Deaf and Talib Kweli but Black Star is my favorite record. and like god what a dumb thing to say hey I mean, <laughs> You know what? There's people that to this day think that most deaf is like <laughs> as rap as rap gets, you know, and th and that's okay. That's okay. Rep most deaf is a is a, a great technical rapper. Had a lot to say. Yeah. You know, he could fill a binder with words. He was a he was a great great artist. 
Uh, but it was like clearly I had no idea what I was talking about when I said that. Well, that's just yeah. that's a very that's a very college answer. That's a very yeah. like I'm intelligent. I'm in school. Uh, you know, these guys are they make conscious smart rap for smart people. Yeah. So it would make sense that that would be my favorite my favorite rapper. Yeah. It's it's humiliating to look back at. And to be honest, like I listened back to that record and there's like three good songs that I really liked and that was about it. <laughs> yeah, it's not that cool. It wasn't Most Def and Talib Kweli or Black Star is <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's pretty all right. It's fine. Like it had its place, but uh, it doesn't deserve to be on anybody's list of most important. I don't know. But um, but anyways, back to the, the hip hop kind of thing. So you picked your three songs and um, I mean, I'd say they're all of hip hop descent, of course, the first one, um, you know, goes goes around that as well. Um, and you know, you, you're today. You continue to have music as a big piece of your life. You work for the Daily Dot, um, and pop culture, I guess, is like a big piece of your job on a daily basis. And you're always keeping me up to date with, especially new hip hop and rap and and all that. But this is kind of the thing that you feel comfortable talking about on a regular basis. Cause it's yeah, I think day. so. I think, yeah, I, I, so correct. I work at the daily dot. I'm, uh, what's basically the entertainment editor at the daily dot. Um, so I, yeah, I mean, every day I have to live and breathe Kim Kardashian, <laughs> Donald Trump, um, Kanye West, Drake, you know, all, all these big, like all these big voices of, of the era, everything that moves the needle, basically anytime Kim Kardashian does anything, you know, you have to be all over it because you're going to get so much, you can get like a hundred thousand page views off of one throwaway article, you yeah. know? Um, so yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I think about it more than is probably healthy at this point. Yeah. You were, a, you probably, you, you're from Austin, born and raised here, spent a lot of time here, obviously, but you guys moved to DC for a little bit. And when you were there, you were writing for a paper there and kind of getting some DC area music out there as well and talking about that and, piece of that as well yeah absolutely yeah washington dc i think any american city with a a big minority population that has poor parts of town or historically marginalized parts of town is going to come up with some pretty interesting art and a lot of times in in recent years that's been rap music and yeah dc um yeah i was lucky enough to cover the dc rap scene for um close to three years there and uh it's just so interesting and so compelling and so tragic because you have one figure who can't really have fans from another part of town and then who has, you know, I remember there were these two rappers feuding in the summer of 2012. There was a kid named Fat Trell, a kid named Shy Glizzy, and during 4th of July weekend, some, like, rival fans, like, shot each other. Like, a, like you know, there were, like, maybe eight or nine uh, serious shooting incidents just because these two rappers didn't like each other. And, and it showed you how fiercely competitive, territorial, and um, kind of alpha dog driven that a lot, of, a lot of rap can be. And you fast forward to some of these big names that we got in the 90s and the 80s, and it's just kind of a miracle that those guys even got there. Yeah. Um, you know, like rap's big bang was really the 1977 New York City blackouts, right? Because... Yeah. A lot of these stores didn't have electricity. A lot of kids looted them, and they got their hands on some really expensive high-end equipment that they they wouldn't have otherwise seen, these Japanese keyboards and synthesizers and stuff. And all of a sudden, you had some real kind of next-level stuff happening. Um, 
So you're right. I mean, I, I I'm a huge hip hop fan. Not not to be the hip hop guy. I guess it's interesting. Yeah, no, 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 like, of course. Yeah, you have uh, a really diverse taste. I mean, but but and you're an right. Amazing I, karaoke skill set. Oh, that's that's <laughs> that's absurd. But you're right. I, I mean, in choosing these three songs, I, I wanted music that I lived and didn't just experience secondhand. Uh, so I had older cousins who got me into Depeche Mode, Queen, Nirvana, and the Beatles. So I had really obsessive stages with those four bands as, as a child. Um, all of that was DQ because I didn't, I didn't live that. Yeah. I didn't find it on my own. Yeah. It, was, it was passed down to me. I was kind of born into it. So I wanted something that I lived, but also something that wasn't just nostalgic, that really, really stands the test of time, that I was really yeah. proud to have consumed and listened to in real time, that I still listen to today, that I think it's better with age, that was ahead of its time. Um, that was, you know, important, pivotal, underrated, all all that stuff. Yeah. So that's the through line with these songs. It's not just, you know, a Kid Rock song that you and I liked <laughs> as kids, or a Blink One Eighty Two song from Dude Ranch, or a Jimmy Eat World song. But this was about music that that was ahead of its game, and and really kind of changed things. And I was lucky enough to have, you know, bought the CD the, the day it came out at Sam Goody kind of thing. Yeah. Sam Goody. R. I. P. R. I. P. Right. No more. There's I think be like one last bash. There's probably like a, a goodie family, yeah. <laughs> there's there's some leftover shopping malls for sure. That's awesome. Well, should we uh, should we kick it off with the first song? Let's do it. So this uh, first track comes from the lovely Miss Lauren Hill, and it is called X Factor. <laughs>
shows of recent memory yeah sure. she was so good uh, that was the the fun 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 fest i think what 2015 that sounds right yeah and uh that one was a a bummer of a show because it started late like most lauren hill sets tend to do yeah she you know she finished with her big song do wop that thing yeah and halfway through it she hit the outdoor curfew and they just cut off the sound it wasn't halfway it was like she, toward the end of it. She two had thirds, like two songs left on the set. List. Well, you know, two thirds, no, halfway through her final song. Oh, her yeah. Big okay, hit, gotcha. Yeah, they yeah. just cut it. They just That's cut right, it. Yeah. 
Um, and that was rough. Yeah, I mean, you know, so Lauren Hill, one of the great tragedies in music who produced um, some really exciting music in the mid to late 90s and who really kind of brought the hammer with this giant album, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, that won a bunch of Grammys. I think it won Best Album at the Grammys. Um, and we're still kind of waiting for the real follow-up, right? We haven't gotten a very, like, a serious Lauryn Hill project in a long time. Um, there have been, you know, she turned away from the spotlight to be a mom. She had some, you know, allegedly dealt with issues of substance abuse. She was notorious for trashing hotel rooms and showing up late and canceling shows. Yeah. Um, just kind of one of those, like, sad figures that really had a hard time escaping her own shadow. But, um... Yeah, X Factor in particular, I I love the influences on it, and I love the way everything sort of comes together. Now, I, I picked it personally because, again, this is a, a song that I just heard nonstop. It was a song that I, I bought, the Miss Education Lauren Hill, pretty much the day it came out. I was in middle school. It's like 98 or so. It's got to be 98. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember Lauren Hill from the Fugees, uh, and, you know... The 1996 Fuji's record was called The Score, and all the kids were like, that album's weird. It's kind of a weird album. I don't know, man. That's kind of a weird CD. It's not as like straightforward and accessible. It's, as like It the... tries to do a lot of different things. Yeah, sure. so, they were, so the kids would be like, well, it's not like Coolio. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like this, this, this super accessible thing that you instantly like. Um, the Score is kind of a weird album, and it's hit and miss. Um, the first of the Fuji's who went solo was Wyclef, and he put out The Carnival in 1997, um, that, that, an appreciation for that album is why me and a, a good friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, Reggie mm-hmm. first became friends we, we both kind of appreciated it as this underrated masterpiece. Um, and Lauren Hill's all over it. I mean, yeah. that's probably where Lauren Hill sounds the best. She's just, she's doing choruses left and right. And Miss Education Lauren Hill was just instantly likable, um, inescapable. I mean, I, I, I feel kind of city, silly, um, setting the table because everybody remembers it. Um, my Lauren Hill story was, you know, driving to the Latin convention <laughs> with my friend, Mitch Cooper's mom and being like, uh, well, I guess I'll put on a CD and thinking, well, I have to put on something mom friendly. <laughs> and I put on the miseducation of Lauren Hill and Mitch Cooper's mom hated it. Like was, what? was sort of like disgusted by it. And I, and I was just sort of like, well, how can anybody not like, yeah. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. Oh, I, I mean, I thought it was this crowd-pleasing uh, favorite. And, you know, she she rapped on that album, and she dissed Wyclef on that album, and she she had a really strong point of view. Um, but X Factor is just rooted in her childhood, which is New York City, 1970s, and there's all these soul records on in the background. Um, and it's But it's also, it's also rooted in the kind of like immigrant American experience where you, you just kind of like sway and groove to whatever's on and whatever's in the background and you just kind of like huddle around a radio, uh, or you, you sing it in the shower. Um, and, and it, it was just like so authentic, authentically American that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember this cause I Harrison, I'm two years older than you and it's yeah. amazing when you're two years older than someone Completely changes the From way you experience culture, things. Yeah. Completely changes. Particularly because we are pre-internet, like yeah, pre- exactly. Eighth grade, sixth grade, exactly. Everything is just a little bit on a slightly different curve. Yeah. 
But I, I first it consumed Lauren Hill's music when she was in Sister Act 2. She <laughs> played like the, the lead misfit kid in Sister Act 2. And I, my, and I you know, I, I saw that movie. I know Sister Act 1, but I'm not sure I saw it. Sister Act 2 is the same movie uh, where like they <laughs> inner city schools. And then at the end, there's a big talent competition. And they just decide to do it their way. So they like rap and they have like a hip hop talent competition instead of doing it like the buttoned up way. And I think they, they come in second place. I remember when I uh, moved out to L.A. for an internship uh, when I was in college, like someone toured me around West Hollywood, like when we first got there. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's the church from Sister Act 2. <laughs> that's like the, the hallmark of like, oh, oh, that's cool, I guess. What, what, what a classic. Um, I mean, yeah, Sister Act 2 is it's one of those movies where like my wife and I argue about Home Alone. Because that's a movie where it's the same movie, Home Alone One versus Home Alone Two. But you got the bird lady. I guess she's the old man. Too, See, yeah, it's the lady. same. same yeah, right. So which one has Trump? Don, oh, Donald Trump's in the second, second one. one. Donald yeah, Trump's right. in the second so one. So one wins. So what? So <laughs> one, what, just, you know. But in, in the case of Sister Act, has Lauren Hill has like, like this really this breakout performance by a young Lauren Hill who like steals every scene that she's in with her charisma and with her singing chops. Um, another, another reason though, I picked it. Because again, you know, the middle school, late '90s, there was so much music that I, you know, Big Punisher and Jay Z, a lot of this like, again, alpha dog rap music that was really aggressive and mean, and had gay slurs in it, and had like just a lot. Just it was all about robbing you and stealing your stuff and, and hurting you, and it, there was nothing more appealing than that. When you're, it's like seeing a rated R movie when you're in eighth grade. Yeah. Um, but Lauren Hill has the same energy, the same pathos, but with this really distinct American experience. The last reason I picked it is that the ba- the guy who played bass on the Lauren Hill album, do you know what band he joined? I don't. He joined Taking Back Sunday. What? He 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 No. Yeah, no, he he, no, no, no. he he played <laughs> no he played bass what? on Miss Educational Lauren Hill. And then I was guessing like one of the like Soul Quarian guys or something. <laughs> and then it, yeah, in 2003 <laughs> But Taking Back Sunday broke up, and they—that was right when they were blown up. And so they needed a bass player. So they—they <laughs> they, think they were, they were both on Columbia Records, and the Columbia was like, "Hey, we got this really good bass player that we're gonna put into your emo band." <laughs> and if you listen to the like, I don't know if he's still in the band, but the two records that he played on, you're like, "Man, the, the bass parts on this are a little it's too a little, a little too good for a emo band." Um, but I, I picked, I you know, I picked Lauren Hill as not just. Um, uh, in, emblematic of my 90s song yeah my coming of age song but also as a stand-in for my emo song because i you know i had a big emo phase yeah. in high school i still think a lot of those songs are, are pretty incredible um but that's a hard thing to judge because so much of that you live firsthand it's so it's it's, it's, it's it's tied yeah. to the experience but so there you go that's my like tangential connection yeah. to the emo phase the bass player was in was in tbs do you think the kids know who lauren hill is today I think enough rappers rap about Lauryn Hill. Yeah. Kanye West just mentioned, like, I was inspired since Lauryn Hill retired. Like, I yeah. think so, but I just don't... And, the, you know, with Lauryn Hill, it's a, it's a very small discography. It's one album. Yeah, it's not... Five songs, album, yeah. four songs. Um, it's pretty, like, I mean, even just the album cover is so iconic. Too. Iconic album cover, uh, just so good. And also, when, you, you know, I'm a music writer and I'm a music critic, and one of the things that's most uh, difficult is that the people who write... Music history, it's the Rolling Stone generation, which mm-hmm. is, you know, these writers who are brilliant, thoughtful people, but they're overwhelmingly white men. Yeah. 
So a lot of these great auteurs from the 60s and 70s and 50s, people like George Clinton. George Clinton is seen as like this consummate entertainer, but not necessarily this craftsman of music. Even yeah. James Brown. James Brown is seen as an entertainer, not so much a genius. Right. Ray Charles is seen as a song, a, a song influential guy, but not so much a guy who put out great records. Even Stevie Wonder takes second fill to a lot of guys. Um, I think that if you if you think about the best albums of the 90s, Nirvana, Biggie, Nas, um, I mean, I don't know, what, who, you know, oh, geez, yeah. OK Computer, you know, if you have yeah. to think in those like anth- anthropology terms about who's, who's the best, who influenced the most people, right. Lauryn Hill made an album for a whole class of teenagers who sold makeup at Sears. Yeah. You know, really, really gave voice to those, pe- those, those, those young people. And um, I think Miseducation Lauren Hill is definitely top five, top ten. Um, and I would argue, I would put it ahead of, I would, put, I, would put, I would put it as the number one rap release of the 90s, and I'd put yeah. it just behind probably Nirvana. Um, right after, you know, I'd, I'd go one, Nevermind, two, Lauren Hill, three, OK Computer, I think. Um, yeah. But I just, yeah, I think it's so good. And hell, this morning, I was listening to it in the shower. It's just yeah. just such a smooth track. Yeah, I mean, for me, everything is everything is always... Like, oh, that's a good one. The track. Yeah. Oh, what a good one. So good. X Factor, like, it was kind of... The rumor, I guess, was that it was about Wyclef, right? Was it? I think. I, 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 I don't know. Like, I don't... I mean, like, I, they, they dated, supposedly, and then that was falling out. And I don't know that it's ever, like been confirmed by that yeah that, that would party, make but that would make perfect sense yeah um yeah. man yeah yeah that's cool i like that um ramon is a list a list guy he loves he loves his list he loves to to come up with it and i'm always that's fascinated a that's a problem it's, it's problem. Great, yeah, like, I, yeah. because you get you genuinely get so much enjoyment out of it and talking about it i'm always fascinated by it because for myself like my lists are different depending on the hour of the day you ask me. Oh so, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, but no, it's it's cool. It's I love that tradition of it. Um, should we go to the next one? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So this next one is a uh, Scarface track um, with some familiar guests that I'm sure people will recognize. One I guess is probably forgotten about by most at this point. But um, so Scarface is uh, guess who's back? Talk to me, man. <laughs> It's your boy, Young Hope. We turn the motherfucking noise up. We can get right into the proceedings this evening. The headphones are distorting. Bring it down a little bit. Okay. Now we working with it. The boy face up and baseline, baby. Welcome to New York City. It's your boy, Young Hope. Kanye West on the track. Chi-Town. What's going on? Can I talk to y'all for a minute? Let me talk to y'all for a minute. Just give me a minute of your time, baby. I don't want much. Let me talk to these motherfuckers. Uh, guess who's Bizak? Still smell a crack in my clothes. Don't make me have to relapse on these hoes. Take it back out the tax in the road. When I was hugging it, niggas couldn't do nothing with it. Straight from the oven with it. Came from the dirt. I emerged from it all without a stain on my shirt. You could blame my old earth for the shit she instilled in me. Still with me. Pain plus work. Shit, she made me milk this game for all it's worth. That's right. These niggas can't fuck with me. I'm calling guts every time. Drag my nuts every time, homie. We make a great combination, don't we? Me in the face, small. 
Every time we face off, face it, y'all. Y'all niggas playing basic ball. I'm on the block like I'm eight feet tall. Homie, I'm in the drop with the AC on. That's why the streets embrace me, dog. I'm so cool. This who's Bazak. Back on the block with them hoes. Face mob, black mittens, and hoes. Don't make me relapse. Back to the block with the phone. Cause the street shit is all I know. From the womb to the tomb. A hot pot of joy and a spoon. Trying to make me 40,000 and move. Motel, star studded, rock stars and goons. Plain clothes wanna run in my room. But nigga, guess who's been Zach? It's your boy, Face Mob. Started with an eight ball. Gotta get this cake, dog. Give niggas a break, nah. You know how the game go. Fuck you think I slang for to go against the grain? No. I'm out here in grind mode. Wrapped up in a paper chase. I wanna fuck a fine hoe and candy paint the 88. Don't got no wholesale, cause that ain't how I wanna run it. Here, take these five stones and bring a nigga back a hundred. Gotta see my feet, dude. You do see the fiend, dude. Before I get too hot in the kitchen, I hit the streets, fool. Money is an issue. And that's on the shizzle. My nizzle, your block warming. I come by with the fizzle. And make me sure I get the work mine. A car at a time. We go to war and you ain't making a dime. <laughs> Cause I got shit to lose. A nigga out here paying his dues. My baby walking, gotta get him some shoes. It's a new game for it. Let me give you the rules. Get out of line and I'm gonna give you the blues. <laughs> It's a new game brewing. Let me get you the rules. Get out of line and I'ma get you the blues. Whoa. Guess who's been Zach? The boy B. Mizak. AKA Mr. Cracker Brick. Turn a whole one from a half a brick. Look, I mastered this. You can smell it once the plastic breaks. Play to make it swell up if your gasket click. You can make your chip swell up. You don't have to pitch. Play them corners like a safety watching traffic switch. Young and never pump fake. And you'll get past the blitz. And keep your whole hood on flip. Like old box spring. Pissy mattress shit. No old box of things. Strictly blasting shit. I hug the block like quarter water. Shit, I used to hug the corner like an old deuce in a quarter. Till I deuce in the morning with the old heads. Slinging loose quarters. This be cat back at it. Still fucking with them crack daddy, still bustin' with that black daddy. Guess who's the sack? Back on the block with them hoes. Face mob, Mac, mittens, and hoes. Don't make me relapse. Back to the block with the phone. Cause the street shit is all I know. Def Jam South, current president of Title, and America's 2020 president, Kanye West. That was Scarface in the beginning. <laughs> and uh, of course, Jay-Z, Kanye, and then uh, uh, I guess who's now mostly forgotten, Jay-Z's old buddy, Beanie Siegel. Beanie Siegel. <laughs> Beanie Siegel. I would argue rap fans have this long-running joke <laughs> that, uh, you know, like when 50 Cent was a thing... Tony Yayo, he was his weed carrier. He was the guy that, like, when they flew on airplanes, he was the guy who had to carry the weed in case they got caught. Uh, Be- Beanie Siegel is the best weed carrier <laughs> best weed rapper of all time. When, uh, when you say best weed carrier rapper, do you mean in terms of, like, the ultimate joke or in terms of, of all the weed carriers, technically the most skillful rapper? Yeah, technically proficient, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So not the best punchline. No, no. Questlove has a great story about Beanie Siegel. There was some rap club in Philly that they would always go to weekly, and like Beanie Siegel was the guy who would kind of command the stage. And 
Questlove was like, man, I got to sign this dude. I got to sign this dude. I got to sign this dude. And when he finally like got a meeting with him, he found out that Jay-Z had just signed him. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but you know, you've seen Beanie Siegel on, you know, he's, he's popped up on some, some late nineties roots records and has a really great voice. And Jay-Z, uh, what's funny about it is that Jay-Z really thought this like short, stocky, um, snarling henchman looking dude. He really thought he was going to be a rap star. Like he, Jay-Z really thought, Oh, Beanie's got next. I'm, I just got to give this dude, the, yeah. I just got to give yeah, this dude a little shot, bit of shine yeah. and, and Beanie's going to take it home with his, <laughs> with his charisma. He looks like a limo driver, but he's, he's got next. Beanie's got next. And, um, he was a, a, a he is, you know, he, you know, he, a, a terrific rapper with a, a husky distinct voice. My favorite line in the song is actually Beanie Siegel line that, the one line in this song that I, li- I listened to this song with my dad once in the car and my dad chortled uh, because the line is like, <laughs> I used to hug a corner. Wait, what is chortle? He just laughed. He was like, <laughs> he just like, it hit him because he got it. It was, it was, it was, you know, my dad made a great, to this day, he's made great efforts to try to understand why, you know, my dad is into jazz. He's in, my dad's, you know, into classical and he studied music. He has a master's in music, uh, you know, in many ways, very like pretentious and, and and uppity. He once told my wife that he gets mad when people aren't um, like don't dress up nice. He did the like he he had a few drinks and he's like, you know, Victoria, I get really mad when people aren't elegant. <laughs> I um, do. The one thing I'll always disagree with in your dad is he said that Justin Vernon's falsetto is a horrible use of falsetto. Yeah. Oh, he's 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 way <laughs> Couldn't off. Couldn't disagree more. He's way <laughs> off. But that's the thing. He doesn't really process. He's such a traditionalist. He doesn't really yeah. process music. But was he connected with the line? He, but he connected with the line. I used to hug the corner like an old deuce and a quarter. Um, do you know what a, what a deuce and a quarter is? I wouldn't expect you to know. I do not know. So, uh, and I didn't either at the time. But the deuce and a quarter. My dad grew up in in uh, Saginaw, Michigan, uh, same town where Stevie Wonder was born. Uh, grew up with a lot of African American folks, and they used to say uh, that the deuce and a quarter. The deuce and a quarter was the Buick Electra two two five. This car that Buick made from like the late '50s to the early '80s, but it was called the Buick Electra 225 because it was 225 inches long. It was like this big body Buick, <laughs> big boat. And so they called it the Deuce and a Quarter, like the <laughs> so hug the corner like an old Deuce and a Quarter, right? He, I used That's to deep. be on the corner selling crack, uh, like a big old. And if you think of those big body Buicks when they come around and make a right hand turn, the way they just kiss the corner like that. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Uh, yeah, this is from the seventh Scarface album. So I we had to do we had to do a Houston track, um, and I, I really struggled because there's more significant personally. Uh, you know, I can't I can't tell you how many times like my wife and I would listen to like Little Flip or the Paul Wall album mm-hmm. or a lot of these like International Players Anthem. You and I did yeah. karaoke that one time. Yeah. Um, Killed, it. Killed it by the way. Yeah, we, I, we I think we did great. Um, so I like. But I wanted something that w- that really embodied the like my love of rapping and the the craft of rapping, and this is a song that really literally broke barriers because you had a Philly guy, a Houston guy, a New York guy, and then the producer is Kanye West, who who gets like a, a two second hook on on this yeah. right. Um, it all, it's like almost it's his voice is so young. It's so young it's like and it's so like it's it, it is yeah. I mean unless you know it's him, you totally like that. You, you you wouldn't, you wouldn't, wouldn't think twice it. about it. Um, but I, I like 2002, I think. 2002, 2002 summer, yeah. summer 02. Um, so it's like two, two more years before Kanye drops his record. Yeah. Yeah. Two years before he has the record. Now, 
He had a few songs. He had right. a, like a demo out. Yeah, yeah. He produced some songs on the Blueprint. He was on the map yeah, as a producer. Yeah. So he could he could get in the room and produce this beautiful right. track. Uh, number one, I think the track itself is... Oh, it's awesome. Cl- like, it's classic. Classic, perfectly produced, perfect drums, fun little like soul samples and this like playful whistle. It's the kind of track that I think like anybody who's ever tried to rap... This is like a friendly. It's it's like this is the a beat uh, they can come in on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a beat they can they can go in on because it's hard it's hard to sound bad on this. Yeah. And that was part of the reason I picked it is you know we had a really good friend named David McKnight who passed away a couple years ago very tragically, but he he had a dream of being a rap producer and he would make beats on beats on beats mm-hmm. and this was kind of like this was the template for the turn of the century rap beat. Where you had a soul sample, mm-hmm. you had these Kanye West, these post Kanye drums, like those, you you know them when you yeah. hear them, those those Kanye West drums, and he he made that was around the time when Jay Z put out the Black album, uh, and he put out an acapella version of it so that anybody could just take the tracks and make their own version of it, which is a, yeah, a, a really neat a really neat move on Jay Z's part because. He knew that people were bootlegging it, and he just said, "Okay, you can, just you can just, the conversation you, you can just have it. You can just have it and make your own black album." And and Art McKnight made a whole black album, um, basically ripping off Kanye in a really good way, in a really yeah. nice way. Um, and back when we were eighteen, nineteen, uh, freshman year of college, and we were like tr- start trying to be rappers, and and we were we were we were pretty bad, but um, this was the like rapping like this is the it's such a entry level way to do it. There's no doubt in my mind that this is Kanye West listening to Jay and Scarface and Beanie Siegel is where Kanye really got his flow from, where he really yeah. picked it up because it was so um, uh, evocative. You had lines like, "You still smell the crack on my clothes." Jay Z, you know, famously used to sell drugs, and he—that's the first thing he comes with—is like, yeah. "I'm I'm still a G." Um, and the the kind of lines that were very like freestyly and playful and loose, but but like ver- like would bounce off of each other. The uh, I'm in the block like I'm eight feet tall with the I'm in the drop with the AC off. Like it's so easy. It's like a, a good training wheel rap, but it's also really charismatic. And that's that's the thing is rapping isn't about. And this is why this is why I I've never loved someone like Tulip Quilly. Rapping isn't about writing. It's about charisma. Yeah, it's about performance, and so th- th- it was just so effortless and fun. And and again, it was Jay Z as an ambassador. As a here's a guy who put UGK on the national scene with yeah. Big Pippin. Here's a guy who worked with Scarface. Shouted out Scarface. Wasn't afraid to save some of his b- best lines for a guest feature. Right. Um, he was uh, he was a generous kind of like kingmaker in his prime. And uh, and then here was Beanie Siegel, just kind of tacked on at the end of it. I'm sure that was a. I'm sure Jay Z was like, "Look, Scarface, I'll be on your song. I'll bring out my guy. But if if you're if I'm gonna do this, you got, I'm gonna put Beanie Siegel on. I need I need a Beanie verse. And there was all these corny football lines. Uh, rappers love rapping about sports, and it's like there's this long, boring metaphor in Beanie Siegel's part about football, where he's like. Never pump fake and you'll get past the blitz, right? Never like it's just so stupid. It, it's, I I I love it, and uh, and so this is uh, again personally, it's my friend making beats, yeah, and yeah. Was driving around in his Chevy Lumina that was like this big body sh- Lumina that he got at a police auction, <laughs> and we used to call it the Amistad, <laughs> and uh, 
and like we would just drive around in it and get lost and 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 very um very emotional that was right when jay-z retired right when dipset came out mm, yeah and, but all these beats sounded like kanye west kanye west in addition to and victoria and i had a long debate about this the other night like i think we both fall on beautiful dark twisted fantasy as the best overall kanye album and that's another discussion yeah. but the great underrated thing that he did was 2001 to 2004 he just owned urban radio every dj in new york had kanye beats on his like on his bangers. And so this is just like a big piece of pie for me. And, and, uh, plus you gotta, you gotta rip Texas. You gotta rip H town. It's really yeah. exciting to hear somebody from your neck of the woods, um, on the album. And there you go. Guess who's back. Jay-Z. You, know, you talk about how like Kanye was so present in that. That's something that is, is at this point is so lost in people's impression of Kanye and saying that he is or isn't what, he claims to be but it's like man you just if you actually go back and look at all those credits and how he moved the sound forward and it continues to, i mean again we could go on and on about this because you and i are both on the same page as far as kanye's genius we're both pretty good i feel uh, bad that we don't have more modern kanye on here but no no this no, no, is, no. This, Don't is worry about this is a that. tricky one uh no this is cool and it's a it's a good uh kind of pump fake in a, in a way of uh <laughs> <laughs> giving some people something to listen to so should we go to the next one? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so this will be the last one. And, of course, this is one that everyone will know. And, um, man, this is, yeah, I look forward to listening. I can listen to this song over and over for sure. So here we go. One, two, one, two, three. Yeah, it's from National Underground. Thunderbounds when I stop the ground. Like a million elephants, a silverback, a orangutan. You can't stop a train. Who wants to Don't come unprepared. I'll be there. But when I leave there, better be a household name. Brother man telling us it ain't gonna rain. So now we sit in a drop top soaking wet. In the silk suit, try not to sweat. In summer sauce without the net. But this be the year that we won't forget. One, nine, nine, nine.
so fun always to listen to so good man i i feel like this one i probably will hijack at different points in time and go through my story behind this song too which is not interesting but well we should start there because yeah this song <laughs> this song is a giant explosion of so yeah. many things oh, yeah. a- and i'd argue i'm arguing that i think it's maybe the our generations all along the watchtower um I think that's a fair argument. Yeah, our, our generation's just big politically charged A-bomb of a track that was hard to avoid. And one of the cool things about it is whether you were, you know, the kid who played baseball and like country music or the punk kid or whatever, you, you, you could kind of appreciate this like giant bang of a, of a track. So yeah, Harrison, what's, what's your, how did you... I mean, you, yeah, I won't go into too much because I don't want to steal your story but uh for me like i just remember the first like the first i mean i had heard the songs on the radio and stuff but i remember I, every like christmas or thanksgiving i go spend a week with my cousins in dallas um and I had two cousins there brother and sister um uh my cousin lizzie she was we were basically the same age i remember like visiting and using uh using their computer or whatever and they had the stankonia jewel case on the desk and yeah. I was like oh outcast like would not expect you to listen to outcast but that's pretty cool and i hadn't really heard the record that much and i remember like burning a copy of it or whatever and just really loving this track and then like a year later in digital graphics class like the stoner the two stoner <laughs> weirdos that like no one talked to were like obsessed with this song and would just play it over and over and uh it man it, it really like it does so many different things that you can't it exists in its own space that you just, frankly, nothing will ever compare to this song. It it just is its own thing. Yeah, yeah. It's I. I mean, for all those reasons, um, at the beginning of two thousand, I got I had my the year two thousand was my VH1 classics phase, where 
I would maybe not necessarily. I think just straight up VH1, where yeah. VH1 would have all these like best albums of the two thousand of the nineties or they of go all time. The lists. There go you through go. the yeah. lists. Like Dylan McDermott would host him and shit. <laughs> um, and I I really spent it listening to filling in the gaps. I was already a pretty big Beatles fan, but I'd never heard Abbey, Abbey Road. Mm. First Beatles track. I this would you know the four and five on this for me. If I'm gonna cheat, would be. Falling for You by Weezer, which is kind of the, tr- the song that Victoria and I like listened to a lot when we were first dating. Yeah. But and then four would be, I saw her standing there by the Beatles because that's the first Beatles song that my parents played me. Yeah. And I loved loved the Beatles. Was obsessed with the Beatles as a kid. But I never heard Abbey Road until the year two thousand. Yeah. Wow. I never I never heard Revolver until the year two thousand. I only listened to the singles. Because that's when they stopped dressing nice. So your Because my because my yeah. I, <laughs> I, I think it was. I, I mean, there was a little bit of that, right? My parents had Please Please Me with the Beatles, Hard Day's Night, Help, uh, Beatles for Sale. Beatles for Sale is my favorite. Yeah. My Uncle Javier gave me Beatles for Sale. He bought it, he had it, and then he like gave it to me. And then he, he passed away a couple years ago. So, But um, yeah, you're right. The early Beatles were, were what everybody liked. And then, yeah, th- then I think my dad was like, then they find drugs. I, I I don't know if this is appropriate for my son to be, to listen to late Beatles, yeah. um, or the the sixty two to sixty six Red Beatles compilation. I listened to that like 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 nobody's business. Yeah. And then in two thousand was when I listened to Velvet Underground and Nico, Rolling Stones, um, White Album, Abbey Road, yeah. Sergeant Pepper, all that. Like oh, sorry. Yeah. So anyway, so I yeah. but at the beginning of the year, because I'd seen those countdowns. I saw that George Clinton was playing the Austin Music Hall, and I had to go, so I went and saw George Clinton. And the, I remember the show started at like ten o'clock, no opener, and George Clinton <laughs> didn't come out until ninety minutes into it. Yeah. So I'm watching yeah, some guy. Are like a oh my god! <laughs> so I'm so I'm just I'm just sitting there watching some guy in a diaper play the guitar <laughs> for ninety minutes before George Clinton Which finally comes rules, out. But it was it was yeah. it was sweet, but. And it and I, I watched that thing from like nine nine thirty until one in the morning, and then I was like, Jesus Christ, this is I got to get out of here. Yeah. So then I left, and <laughs> that. But I had an uh, an understanding of of what that was. And so when Outcast came came back with Bombs Over Baghdad, Baghdad you had that kind of P funk mm, yeah frame of reference. Yeah. And I you know I remember my friend David Perez who like who, who he joined the Navy. By the time he was like, this new Outcast song Bob is pretty cool. You heard the song Bob, and no one knew <laughs> no one knew what Bob stood for, and um, th- it was also the peak of a phase where I I could drive, but I couldn't drive by myself, and I, and my mom wouldn't let me drive anywhere, and I wanted to go to Best Buy to get the CD. Yeah, so I I'd, I'd say okay, here's what I want. Go buy this for me, and she would do it, and so. <laughs> October 2000 was when Snakeonia came out, and she she bought me the Snakeonia CD. She bought me Jay Z's uh, The Dynasty uh, record uh, on, on the same day. I think it was Halloween 2000, um, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I'm laughing because uh, I, for New Year's I was I spent New Year's with you and your family, which was an amazing experience. But you told a story about how. One time when you and you took your mom to go buy CDs at Best Buy, yeah. <laughs> your, your brother, what did he say that like? Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, yeah. This is a tangent. But we it's we a good yeah story. we we went to um, Best Buy to buy CDs. You're right. And my mom said, 
where's Mark Anthony? And my brother said, oh, it's under crap. <laughs> and then my mom was like really hurt and we left. <laughs> we left. I didn't get my CD. I didn't get my CD. Um, Damn it, Eduardo. But uh, <laughs> that, yeah. And so Snakeonia is a era-defining album. Yeah. Outcast came to the Austin Music Hall April of 2001 on the Stank Love Tour. Ludacris was the opener. So I got to oh, see wow. Ludacris. I got to see Outcast. It was amazing. Uh, they opened with Bombs Over Baghdad. And um, I also got to, the next day in speech class, give a speech about how it's... Because I, I showed up to class wearing my Outcast shirt, and everybody was asking me questions. And the teacher, the, the teacher Mr. Bergen's like, all right, all right, look, Ramon, just talk for two minutes about the concert, get, and, and, and we'll be done with it. And there was this tall German kid who was like, his mind was blown that I like I got to see Outcast. Um, he was a foreign exchange student. So, yeah, every, out, he, outcast was was, he was so down with Outcast. Yeah. He was like, Oh, did you go? Did you go to that? <laughs> I, I swear to God. And um, awesome. so that was the biggest, coolest, baddest album. Yeah. And then, you know, you know where this is going. Yeah. 9 11. Right. 9 11, baby. Right. Um, which wasn't the best time, but that was. Oh man, I'm a teenager and it's 9/11 and we're all gonna we're all gonna go to war and die. That yeah. there's we're all gonna have to go to war. The military is coming to our high school and putting up a big pull-up bar in the middle of the lunchroom yep. and seeing who can do the most pull-ups and there's just no way around this. And so during that during that like period that 9/11 where the world was unstable, I got to listen to Outkast and I got to relax and calm down and and stabilize and. Yeah, the, the, the go to, from one class to the other class, listening to the song on my Discman. Um, uh, just incredible track. But that was, out, I, I think Outkast is, is, the, is the only album that I take from me from the fall of 2000 through Christmas of 2001 and beyond in that it's, a, it's an album that was impervious to, to 9-11 and, and was sort of made better and more essential be, by the horrors uh, in the background, I mean, on 9/11, yeah, we all had a 9 our 9/11 soundtrack for me. It was Outcast. Now, also, in in a much less pointed fashion, my mom. I had an argument with my mom on 9/11 uh, because I wanted to go to Best Buy and buy CDs, and she wouldn't let me do it. And she felt it was some music. It was like a Tuesday, right? It was a Tuesday, and that was the big argument. And then I was like, "Fine, I'll go to work," or excuse me, "I'll go to I'll go to school." So I went to school. And then 9-11 happened, and then my mom felt bad that we had this argument, and so she went to Best Buy and got me the three, the two CDs that came out that day and one I was going to buy, which was you know, System of Down Toxicity, yep. Jay-Z The Blueprint, P.O.D. Satellite. <laughs> <laughs> and on 9-11 itself, that night, I listened to Boom by P.O.D., and just <laughs> was like, yeah, we're going to get you. America is going to get you. And then after a couple weeks after... In September of 2001, I went to uh, Waterloo Park. It was the last Toadies concert. They had all this like patriotic. <laughs> it was always the last Toadies. All, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> at the time, we thought it was the actual last, last Toadies. Last yeah. at, remember, Toadies had a song called "Plane Crash" that, that they felt weird about playing. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of ugly music, a lot of reactive music. Yeah. A lot of you know, Nickelback had a had a hit. They pushed back the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln Park seemed inappropriate. But you had bombs over Baghdad. By the time I graduated high school in 2003, so that was what we were listening to on the way out of high school, which was bombs over Baghdad. It was we're we, we're gonna seize Baghdad in a couple of days. Mission accomplished. 
Um, that that was the one thing that just kind of hung over everybody's head. So um, the last point I want to make is that Pitchfork, the music criticism site, had this as the number one song of the decade. Hmm. And that's interesting because it took uh, it took you know Pitchfork a while to come around to rap music. It yeah. took them it took them years. Yeah. Uh, it, it really it was until 2005 when Purple Haze came out by Cameron when Late Registration came out, that they really saw it as this serious genre, as opposed to just Definitive Jux and Aesop Rock and all these underground dudes who were mostly pretty shitty. Um, Well, some of it was some of it was fine. Yeah. Um, But Bob and the 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 album it's it's worth looking up if you go to Pitchfork and and you read their albums of the two thousands. Bob. They wrote, there was this beautiful piece about it. Like, yeah. like they really wrote it. There's a good tribute. They great, great tribute. <laughs> but that is, you're right, that is this generation into the next one. That's that's everything. That's the God dream. And I think music is still kind of chasing that that initial Big Bang, something that I just don't think people realize. Because the tragedy of 2001 is that people like you, Harrison, yeah, we're listening to the Strokes, yeah, you know, and the Strokes <laughs> fucking suck. Strokes are a terrible band that mean nothing to nobody. They're awful, and except for that guy that has all the albums tattooed on. Him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, I feel t- yeah. <laughs> we have a friend that uh, went on a Tinder date with somebody who had every single Strokes album cover tattooed in like a rectangle up and down it, and it wasn't just like. Room on Fire, and as I said, it was like angles and all I, I, like w- razor. Who fuck? I don't. I don't know what the albums are. But room, <laughs> room on Fire. I mean, the first two are. I still love. And then the, records, of course, I think the first two are great. Yeah. I think the Strokes are a great band. I just think yeah, that, but no, I know what you mean. Yeah, I think they're, right. they're, Sorry, they're, I, they're. We we digress. So you Strokes are a great band, yeah. but uh, that the, there were too many people listening <laughs> to the Strokes and not. And, and not not, not enjoying America because you know yeah. the other album that came out, and I swear to God, September tenth two thousand and one, I was watching David Letterman. Yeah, you know who played on David Letterman September tenth two thousand one? I couldn't tell. Jimmy you. World, and they uh, played yeah, Bleed American. Bleed American, Blade American, a, another album that they had to change in the week of nine eleven. Fifty five times the album that the stro- the the first Strokes album was. What was the first? Times. What was this first Strokes album called? It was called. Uh, douchebags with hair. What was it called? This is it. Right? This is it. This is it. That album is s- the most overrated album of our generation, my friend. That's the iPod <laughs> album. That's the I have a Strokes button on my lapel album. That album is so overrated. It's not good. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Revivalist filth. Uh, you could have been listening to Bleed American, which is. The, the most important, the second most important rock album of 2001. Interesting. I'll have to go back and listen to that. Oh, Bleed American, really, I, I love Bleed American so much. I really do. I don't think there's been a, I think it's the, oh man, uh, you guys, there's a, Andy Greenwald wrote a book called Nothing Feels Good. Did you ever read that book? Mm-mm. He wrote a book about teenagers in the early 2000s um, and the emo scene, and he had a whole chapter of, of Jimmy World. Yeah. And yeah. The point is, like again, Jimmy World is a is a band that hasn't aged well. There's a lot of bad music, that, not a, a lot of inessential music, but yeah. uh, Bleed American is. And th- there's always some kid who's like, "Clarity's the best Jimmy World." No, 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 no. Bleed American is the best Jimmy World. All of this to say that 
when you think about turn of the century music and rock and roll that our generation listened to, there was there was some bad stuff. There was some really disposable rap. A lot of Jaquans and Tquans and Chingies. <laughs> a lot of disposable rap music. A lot of disposable. Um, a lot of disposable. You know, move into your dorm room rock yeah. and roll, right? Like the Strokes and the Vines and all that stuff. Uh, but I think that without a doubt, the one thing that blows everything out of the water from 2000, excuse me, from Amnesiac to College Dropout, that four-year run. Outcast, yeah. Snakeonia. And I remember I, I was like an obsessive Rage Against the Machine fan after they'd broken up in like eighth, ninth grade. And I remember, I think probably the first time that I actually heard Bombs Over Baghdad was like a Kazaa downloaded cover yeah. version of this song <laughs> that they did. And I was like, oh shit, this song's cool. Then I heard the real verse was like, holy shit, this is even better. Yeah. Like, uh, but that's also how I got into uh, Cypress Hill was because they had on that same bootleg Kazaa downloaded track they had how I how, how could I just kill a man right the Rage Against Machine <laughs> yeah, cover yeah, and, uh, oh yeah Rage Rage is another <laughs> bubble band I think the problem with Raging as a Machine is that um, it's just people won't let that band die yeah um, yeah and, and it's it's getting a little embarrassing yeah. um, <laughs> alright so this next song is from the La La, the La, La Land soundtrack so this is <laughs> this is City of Stars right no I thought you were going to say Hamilton, but this is, then this we from go the Hamilton whole other Oh, man. <laughs> the mixtape. Hey, man. Well, this was a lot of fun. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed hearing your, your stories of it. And uh, I know, I feel like we could have probably picked another 30 songs for you, but uh, you only get three. So you feel good? You feel like you, you got what you wanted to say across? Absolutely. Harrison, thank yeah. you. Thank you for, for, <laughs> for having me. These are incredible accommodations. No, this is great. It was a lot of fun. I, I'm glad we did it, and uh, looking forward to the next one. Thanks, Ramon. All right, brother. Take care. Bye.